0: you stand with me and uh, as you guys know we stand in honor of the Word of God a uh, tradition that we've received from Ezra the priest back in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament but let's uh, let's go ahead and read if you'll just follow along with me verses 1 through 7 out of Acts chapter 6 then we'll get into the teaching. Luke of course is writing and He writes, Now, in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage, we will Gain understanding as you, Lord, pour your spirit out upon us to give us that understanding, to cause your word to be etched upon our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our hearts for understanding, that you'll give us wisdom and discerning hearts, Lord, to know how these things apply to us in the church today couple thousand years later, a number of thousands of miles away from where these things took place. Help us, God. And, God, might we have the faithfulness to apply these truths. And, Lord, also might your spirit give us the ability to do so. And so, Lord, we just ask these things in Jesus' name, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. You guys may be seated. Great to have you guys here with us today, and I also want to welcome those of you who are uh, watching and listening on Facebook Live. sure wish you would join us uh, right here, live and in the flesh, sometime soon, but we're glad that we have this ability to reach into your homes as well. I I just pray that you are doing so because you just simply can't make it this morning, but join us sometime soon if you can. Acts chapter 6, we see... a a change of direction here with these words here in this 6th chapter of 6 as Luke continues to write. And he says, now in those days, now we don't know exactly when this is taking place. We would assume a few years after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those 120 uh, followers of Christ in that upper room and the church was birthed. It could have been three, four, five years later, Luke is writing of, of these things. Up to this point, it had been probably just several months after that event. But now, in those days, he's just going back and just basically highlighting some of the things that had been going on in the church early on. But let us remember that even as we finished chapter 5 last week, let, let, us, let, let us read verse 42 Actually, verse 41 and 42. No, verse 40 to 42. No, I'm just playing with you. (laughs) 41 and 42. Let's read those two verses. So they departed from the presence of the council. This is speaking of the apostles who had been called before the council, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, right? Those 70 men. They'd be called before them to give account for the fact that they continued to speak and to teach in the name of Jesus, right? I remember Gamaliel had done, done done what what he did. You know, basically, I mean, I mean the entire chapter really. It goes back to Ananias and Sapphira, uh, uh, and and there I mentioned earlier the idea of. The, the offerings that were taking place, those who had properties were selling the property and bringing the money to the apostles, and they were distributing that money to those who had need within the church because there were people who had need, of course. And Ananias and Sapphira saw that taking place, and so they brought a certain amount of money to Ananias, or, or to the apostles, said, yeah, we, we'll just say, yeah, we, we sold our property for $50,000. Here's the money. When actually they sold the property for more pretended that it was that smaller amount that they had given all they didn't they lied to god they lied to the holy spirit both of, of them were stricken dead and it did it that did a number in the hearts of people not only in the church but who were watching fear great fear came upon all which resulted in purity taking place within the church as well and the apostles were, were continuing uh, uh by the Lord's power through their own hands, uh, doing works of, of signs and wonders and so forth. Uh, the apostles were arrested. Uh, they, they were uh, released, really not released. They, were, they escaped through the hands of an angel who brought them out and said, go to the temple and teach. And so after they had been arrested, the Sanhedrin were gathering, and they, they wanted to, 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 to meet with these apostles, called them before them, they sent for them to the prison. They weren't there. And then somebody and, and then the report came back to them, uh, They're not there. And they're just wondering, "What on earth is going on?" And as the passage said, they wondered about what might come of all this. Well, shortly after that, somebody came from the temple saying, "Hey, these guys you arrested yesterday, they're in the temple right now teaching. What? Well, they sent for them, no violence, they came and were before them. They called him to account Gamaliel, a well-respected rabbi of his day. Uh, He's the one, by the way, that the Apostle Paul sat under, was taught by as a Hebrew, as a Jewish man. And uh, he gave some advice, you know, you guys are going to find yourself fighting against God if this is of him. So just leave him alone. We, we've seen people rise up before they had a following. It fell apart after they died. It wasn't of God. If it's of God, it's going to last. If it's not of God, it won't. Don't do anything because you might find yourself fighting against God. You, you don't want that. That's, what, that's basically what he said to them. And they said, okay, that's cool. But they didn't really listen to him because it's not like they left them alone. They beat them and then let them alone and said again, no more teaching or preaching in the name of Jesus. They wouldn't listen, of course as they didn't listen before. And then they made that statement, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. So here we are. Verse 41 and 42, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And so this is the state of things as we move into the sixth chapter written by Luke. As I said, as he's writing now, he's just changing gears a bit. He's giving a report of what was going on in the church during those days. This is probably a couple years after these particular events. But notice that as we move into this passage, that the apostles were continuing to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. There was purity in the church as a result of the fear that had come upon individuals within the church and outside of the church. Remember, you know, chapter 5 said that no one from outside dared join them, and yet the Lord continued to add to the church on a regular basis. And so the Holy Spirit was definitely at work. But something to notice here, in this first verse of the sixth chapter, after Luke writes, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, that was what was going on. Now, previously, we had seen Luke write that the Lord was adding to the church You know, on the very first day of the church, Pentecost Sunday, that that, that day that that, uh, 3,000 souls were saved. You know, that was a multiplication, certainly. But it just stated the number. After Peter's second uh, sermon, he stated that now the number of men had grown to 5,000. You remember that. So he he gave specific numbers at that time, but other times you say the Lord was adding adding to the church daily. These kinds of things he was saying. Now he's saying multiplying. Uh, in some of your translations it says was increasing greatly. You know, but, but the idea is that there was exponential growth taking place in the church at this time. It wasn't just a few here, a few there. And while he was adding to the church daily, there were a lot being added to, to the church now. And at the end of this passage, in, in verse 7, we see that even some priests now were acknowledging their need for the Messiah, recognizing Jesus as the Christ. And that's an important thing to note. They are preaching that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Christ means Messiah, right? Let's never forget that. So he was. Jesus is the Messiah the Messiah, as foretold in the Old Testament to come and save the people of God. This is what was going on. Note also with me the word disciples. This is the first time that Luke uses this word in the book of Acts, disciples. You know, there were people added to the faith. They they were coming to faith, coming to believe, you know, added to the church and so forth, uh, added to the Lord. In, in, one, in one situation or in one state, we see that uh, word in. But this is the first time the word disciples is used. Now, we have to be careful about not making too much of this. But it's interesting to me that now Luke uses this word. And, of course, a disciple is someone who is following after a teacher. He is being taught by this teacher and walking living his or her life in the same way that this teacher lived his life. So that's the idea of being a disciple. You're being taught by your rabbi here in the Jewish culture, taught by the rabbi, you're watching the rabbi living like the rabbi. That's what a disciple does. First time this is used, and after some time has passed, I'm sure that the believers who are coming to faith now in Christ, in the book of Acts, now they are truly becoming disciples. We can't make too much of it in the sense that he's calling them disciples now because now they're disciples. Well, But at the same time, this is the word that he's using. So I think there's something to it. But we have to take the word as a general uh, term to um, define or describe the church, referring to the church overall. But he's saying Disciples. You know, this, we've got to consider this as, as, as synonymous with the, with the term Christian, which hadn't been used yet, but in terms of our understanding of Christian, we have to kind of understand that. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, we see this. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus kind of defined discipleship there. Uh, in another place in the Gospels, I didn't, I, I didn't, I don't have this in my notes, but you remember that Jesus said, "If any man come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross daily." Luke added as the word "daily," and follow me. That's what discipleship is. That's what it means to follow after Jesus, to deny ourselves, take up the cross. And we have to remember there, I have to be careful I don't spend too much time on that because I could easily, you guys know that. Um, the idea of taking up the cross is not bearing a burden because cr- the cross was an instrument of death. I- I've heard it say, s- said that, you know, you know we, we'll wear crosses as, as jewelry, you know, a, a, a necklace or maybe as a pendant on, the, on, on a bracelet or something like that. And, you know, it's something that's beautiful to us. And certainly the cross is beautiful to us. Yet it was the instrument of death, you know. I mean, to, to, to line up with what takes place today in our culture in terms of if, if someone is sentenced to death. It doesn't happen in California anymore. But in some states, I mean, you know, I mean, may, maybe we, we should wear around our, s- our, our, our neck a uh, little tiny electric chair, or a hypodermic needle, or something like that, because it's like, oh, that's gross. I mean, no. Well, that's the idea of the cross in that day. And so that is something that we must give attention to. But Jesus said, if you abide, if you remain, if you continue, if you stay in my word with the intent to allow my word to do its work in you, to be changed by it and to follow it, to obey it, then you are my my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. As he's speaking to these Jewish men and women, when he says, my, my truth will set you free, free from the... Constraints of religion. Free to worship God and love Him without feeling like you have to do certain things, but you do those certain things because you want to, because you love Him. It's no longer religion, it's relationship, right? We like to say that. No, it's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not a religion. Yet at the same time, we do practice religion, but it's based on a relationship based on the reality of who God is and what he's done for us. Preaching and teaching was continuing to go on. And we must acknowledge the difference. Pastor Chuck Smith said this, conversion comes through the preaching of the gospel, but growth comes through the teaching of the word. It's so exciting to see how God blesses the teaching of his word. We come to Christ Through the proclamation, that's preaching, the proclamation of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. But once the conversion takes place, people need to hear teaching, not preaching all the time. Some, in, in some circles within the church, preaching is happening all the time. And, and, and I would say that with every sermon, there's a certain amount of preaching that takes place, but the bulk of it is, is teaching. That, that's what we at- attempt to do here. Teaching with some proclamation included so that we grow in the things of Christ, so that we learn to abide and in that abiding, truly become his disciples and as his disciples, given freedom by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we at Calvary Chapel attempt to do. A wonderful um, uh, thing that we've received from Pastor Chuck. As we move on, moving to what we see here, just in general, I, I think it's worthy to note that we, we see in these early chapters of Acts and we'll see throughout the book of Acts really different ways that our adversary, the devil, works to attempt to bring down the church. Of course, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees are, 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 are men that the devil was actually using. At this particular time, we're going to see that Saul of Tarsus was one of them, who, of course, became Paul the apostle. One of them to destroy the work of Christ, to try to destroy what the church had become. Um, The devil would, would work outside of the church. Now he's beginning to work inside the church, starting with Ananias and Sapphira. But also we see in this chapter the enemy attempting to bring some dissension within the ranks of the church, you know, and and and, and we've heard it from from other um, situations not not related to the church, but just related to nations, for example. You know, we we've heard it said. I mean, the the the, the, the communists um, back in the day when 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 Russia w- w- was really. a a, a power they've kind of lost. Now they've gained it again. But, you know, we would hear them say, you know, if you want to destroy another nation, get inside and begin to work within, right? And that's just the truth. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what Jesus said. Abraham Lincoln quoted it. It's true. And so that's what he tries to do. And let us never forget, as the church, that when we start having squabbles with each other, Now, we are a church family, we're a family, and it's not just simply the church family where squabbles take place, they take place in our homes too. Why does that happen? Because we're people, we're sinners, it happens, but God gives us a way to solve those issues and we need to do that. The enemy wants to bring in bitterness and hatred and division so that In our homes, the family won't stand. And within the church, the church will not be united. Do we see that? I remember one time many, many years ago. I I, I mean, we gosh, this had to be, I don't know, probably 30 years ago or more. I remember having a discussion. we, We were having one of those kinds of discussions, Jeanette and myself. You know, and we were, eh, 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 you know, you know how that works. You know that happens within a marriage. I know that some of you are perfect, but, you know, (laughs) Jeanette and I are not. But, you know, that thing going on, and I remember stopping saying, Honey, can we see what the enemy is trying to do right here with this? Let's not let him do this. You know, not that he caused the problem. It was my flesh or her flesh or both of our flesh. I don't remember what the situation was. But he will capitalize on that to bring division. You know, and it's like, let's not let him do this. But that's what he does. That's what he does. And so here in the sixth chapter, that's exactly what he's doing within the church here in Jerusalem. We, we see there in that first verse that there was a complaint against the Hebrews by the hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution so luke is writing about a daily distribution that was taking place we saw back in at the towards the end of chapter four if you just look back there in late uh verse 35 excuse me what i was reading before what i was speaking about before the proceeds of the sale of property being brought to the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. So at that, at that point in time, it was the responsibility of the, the apostles to just basically distribute the money where it was needed. And in the very beginning, the church was small. And it was not a big deal. It, it, it wasn't a big deal for them to do that. I mean, there were, there were 12 of them that were part of this, and and, and and they were doing it, and they could do that as well as Maintain the time that they needed to pray, to to study God's word, and to preach and teach it. Not that big of a deal. But as the church began to multiply, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And because of the difficulty of the oversight of it and other things that they had to do, it's like things were beginning to get away from them, and this problem was taking place. and, And the Hellenists, the Hellenists basically were a group of Jews who were basically raised in the Greek culture. They spoke Greek, and they developed g- Greek ways, but just a, a, a group of people within the church, different from the Hebrews, who, of course, were born and raised in Israel, and in this case, probably right there in Jerusalem. So They were different culturally. And somehow... There was some neglect taking place. The Hellenists were saying, hey, the widows from our culture, from, from, from our community, are, are, are simply not really receiving the help that we're noticing that the Hebrew widows are getting. What's up? Right? I mean, that's what was going on. And so they, the apostles received this complaint. You know, As we're talking about that, obviously from the very beginning, the church began ministering to widows. In that particular culture, uh, in in the Eastern, in the Middle Eastern culture at that particular time, you know, it was a real problem for a woman whose husband would pass on. She had no means of support. It's not like our culture. We've got women in the workforce. They didn't. It was totally different. The need was greater, but even then, we do see in First Timothy chapter five. We don't have time to go there, but there's an interesting passage there in that chapter, verses three to sixteen, in which Paul defines what a true widow is. What a true widow is. You know, I, I and as I say that, I've got this in my mind right now. I remember you remember you remember Pastor Steve Mays who's with the Lord. Now he went to be with the Lord. A number of years ago, but when <laughs> he would the way that he spoke he, he had this Elmer Fudd kind of a thing, you know he would say, he would talk about the widow woman and I I, I just picture El, Elmer Fudd talking about a little woman a widow woman I, I'm sorry, it's just funny it's, it's funny to me, it's funny to me very precious though Steve, a great brother with the Lord now, um But in the issue of being a widow, just some things from that passage I want to share with you. As he would define what a real widow was, a real widow meaning somebody, a widow who was worthy of receiving help from the church. That's the idea behind this. These are some of the things that he wrote up. Um, they, They were without children or grandchildren to care for them. So... Today's a great Father's Day with me, for me. My, my daughter's with me here. You know, uh, t- Tracy's with, with us from, from Phoenix. She's going to be with us through Thursday. Uh, and um, my other daughter, Jamie, she left on Father's Day. She's with her family in Nebraska. So I'm telling her, I, I see what's important to you. And she responded, well, you always taught me, Dad. I've got to follow my husband. You're right, I have. So blame Justin for this. <laughs> anyway. They've opened up their home to their mom and, and me to help us. You know, not not that they, not that we're widowed or a widower or whatever, but but we need help right now. And they've done that. You know, and, and I think it's something that is biblical for us to do. We, we we need to do that for our parents as as we may have need to do that. My sister and her husband moved down from Wyoming to move in with my mom in Hesperia to help her in her old age. It's what we do. It's not necessarily what Americans do. It is what Christians do. It's biblical. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Anyway, without children or grandchildren to care for them, a woman who trusts God and continually prays, a woman who's at least 60 years old, A woman who's reported for good works, bringing up children, lodging strangers, washing the saints' feet, relieving the afflicted, has diligently followed every good work. In other other words, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ being used by him in the lives of people around her. That's a part of what Paul wrote. These Hellenists, as I said, were, were... Greek-speaking Jews from other areas basically entrenched in the Greek culture. So the difference, they, 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 they read, they didn't read the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures. They read uh, what, what we call the Septuagint. You know, that is the Old Testament written in Greek. Um, that's what they read. And so there were just differences between the groups. And with these differences, as with any group, whether it's a cultural thing, a a, a racial thing, a national thing, uh, a a language thing, uh, um, uh, a a, a, uh, uh, financial thing, you know, just the idea of, you know, somebody on the other side of the tracks kind of a thing, right? I mean, these differences bring in problems with relationships. And unfortunately, these differences existing within the church can cause some problems. It was causing a problem here. I I think prejudice is one of the most natural things in the world because it is natural to prejudge people according to our flesh, right? But we've got to remember that as Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 read, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we should give a big amen to that. I I love to see the church today. I, I love to look around in the church and see Faces of different color. Obviously from different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities and races and nations and so forth. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Because that's what we ought to be according to Galatians 3. Not just that. Other passages. Well, this is the one I love to quote. It's the best one, I think. But we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? We are one. And so those differences have to be put aside to live out the oneness that God has given to us. And this is with, 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 with any union that God gives to us, whether it is a union within the church, a unity within the church, uh, the unity within a marriage and within a family, or whatever it may be. We've got to put the differences aside. There's something greater at stake, something greater at stake. At stake, And that is the, the, the name and the honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. And so the enemy wants to destroy that. And we can, of course, cooperate with him if we're not careful. It's very, very easy to do so. And so, well, that's the first verse. <laughs> we are going to make it through verse 7. Verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples. So he didn't just, they, they didn't just call the Hellenists together, but the multitude of the disciples, all, all the disciples together who could ever come here in Jerusalem uh, to this particular meeting. So called a church meeting, basically. And said this, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We, speaking of the apostles. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Some foundational things for the church here. Foundational things for the way that the church ought to work. Now, We already talked about how the apostles had been doing the distribution. Something that's interesting here is that in that first verse, we see the last word in in that verse, distribution. We also see in verse 4, at the end of that verse, the ministry of the word. The word ministry and the word distribution are the same Greek word, dikonia, it's related, it's related to the word deaconoras, uh, uh, which is the word that, I, that is uh, translated, uh, that's used for deacon, which basically means servant or minister. It's really what that means. You know, the, the, the idea of a deacon in the church, really a better word would be minister. And to understand that word to be servant. Servant is the best word, I think, because that, that we really get the idea. of of what that word means. But it's the same word. So there's a ministry of daily meeting the needs of those within the church. And then there's a ministry of the word as well. Same word being used to describe both of them. I I, I find that to be very, very interesting. But the apostles said, we, we have to get back to where we need to be. It's not a good thing for us to be distracted from focusing on the ministry that God has given to us by doing these other things. There are plenty of other people who are capable and gifted to do the same things. In fact, to do these things, in fact, God gifts us in various ways to take a particular role within the church. And those who are heading up the church, in our our day, we would say pastors or pastoral staff, you know, we're we're, we're not to do everything. In fact, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, these words, And he himself, speaking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of, of Christ. So what, Paul is writing to the Ephesians is that God gave certain offices to the church, five of them mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And really, pastors, teachers are combined as one office really there. And the reason that God gave the church those particular offices is so that those who are functioning in those roles will be used by God to equip the saints and to edify the body of Christ, but equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry. So doing all the stuff that has to be done within the church is, is, is the role of people within the church as they've been gifted to do certain things, whatever it might be. You know, I mean, and, and a lot of things have to take place in a church. I mean, on, on a Sunday morning, I mean, we just walk up. We see people who are outside. The parking lot ministry already has been active. We see greeters at the door. We see ushers at the at the doors inside the sanctuary. We have people who are... Doing children's ministry, we have a worship we have worship uh, ministry going on. Uh, already, people have been here during the week cleaning the sanctuary and cleaning the restrooms and things of that nature. There are people who are answering the phones. There are people who are. I mean, just a lot of stuff goes on. And the apostles couldn't do everything, nor can a pastor today do everything. But it is the job of everyone to be to, to have their part within it. You know, the, the primary role of the pastor teacher is to intercede in prayer for the church and to teach the word of God. That's the primary role of the pastor. And if a pastor has to clean, clean restrooms, not that a pastor is above it. That's not the issue. If necessary, yeah. But the truth of the matter is, if it's necessary, then he's being pulled away from spending time doing what he's actually called to do within the church. Does that make sense to you guys? You know, um, I have seen situations, in fact, Pastor Chuck Smith was famous. One of the things that we would always talk about is the fact that you're walking with him on, on a campus there at, at Costa Mesa when he was still with us, of course, and, 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 you know, he would see a piece of paper on the floor, he would pick it up and throw it in the trash. You know, if, if something was necessary to do in the restroom, he would wipe down a sink or something like that. You know, it wasn't above him to serve in those ways, but he certainly did understand what his calling was. That's what we all have to do. We just have to understand what our role is within the church based on the calling, which is based on gifting, which is based on what God has called us to do. But there are problems when people don't step up to take those roles and leave it to the church leadership. And in a smaller church, there's not ge- really, not generally, a lot of people who are freed up on staff, for example, to do those things. That it can be left with the pastor. It's a common thing. It's a common thing. You know, I remember when we first got involved with the church in Spain. You know, Pastor Pepe was, was very appreciative of the way that we at Calvary Chapel did things because in the Southern Baptist denomination, especially there in church, in, in Spain, they, they they really did expect him to do everything. It's common within the church. You know, um, and um, he was, because his church was not run by him, it wasn't run by a board of elders, it was basically run by the congregation. Everything that took place had had a congregational vote. He wanted to hire a youth pastor, and they wouldn't do it. They said, you do it. You know the word. You have the time. You do it. We don't want to spend money on that. And so he was divided, you know, and very concerned. You know, and, and, and he appreciated where we came from as Calvary Chapel in that. But the apostles, pastors today, need to be free to teach and preach the Word of God. Nothing can bring maturity to the body of Christ like the faithful and powerful teaching of the Word of God nothing. So as you receive the teaching of God's word, you grow. And I've received comments from some of you about how you have grown in the ministry here, just sitting under the teaching here, which I thank God for. You know, when I get comments like that, I go, yes, that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. I love it. I love seeing you Growing, growing in your commitment, doing the work of service and so forth. I love seeing marriages getting healed. I love seeing what God does as, as you faithfully follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it all comes from, foundationally, understanding the word of God and then following the word of God. I love it. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. But especially loving each other. Jesus is the one who said back in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, that, uh, that, that um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, love one another. Then he said, all will know you are my disciples. And I picture Jesus doing it this way. All will know you are my disciples, as opposed to some other rabbi. All will know you are my disciples because you love one another. I I love to see that. The Apostle Paul, who became the greatest proclaimer of God's word after being the greatest protagonist or, or, excuse me, the antagonist against the the gospel, Uh, the greatest proclaimer of God's word, he was totally devoted to prayer and teaching. Romans 1.9 says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Philippians 4, he wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And he wrote also in Acts 20.18-21, And when they had come to him, He said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The faithfulness to teach God's Word. Well, these seven men, the apostles had asked that these uh, disciples, and not just simply the Hellenists, but all of them, come up with seven different men who would be be used by God to handle the task of distributing the uh, uh, the, the help that was needed for the poor people within the church. And, 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 and the widows, whether they were Hellenists or Hebrew, were a huge part of that. And in verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. There were certain qualities that the apostles wanted to see and and charged the group, the the disciples, to use these things. They said, men from among you. Of course, men, it is God's design for the church that men assume the leadership roles. Uh, women, of course, have an important role, have important roles within the church. We see that in the New Testament. Uh, we see Titus chapter two. We have our Titus two ministry, and, and guys, I have to share this with you. Uh, this morning, as as Dan was doing the announcements and sharing about Titus two, the Titus two Tuesdays that are taking place, um, and the ministry that our women give to other women within the church. You know, that, that started with my precious wife. You know, and, and I can't help. I mean, and, and be praying for me because this is what I go through. I go through this. You know, I, I see the women's ministry active and I praise God for that. I praise God for uh, the women who are, are taking over that ministry. Uh, Vanessa, among others, who are being used by God to minister to the rest of you ladies and stuff. But I can't help but Take note, in my mind, this was my wife's vision. And she's not here any longer to serve within that vision. But we do have faithful women who are, and I'm so grateful to you for it. But that is something. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. You know, it's just something that I go through. Something that I go through every single day. So it's an emotionally tough thing for me. You know, um, you know, uh, I, I'm very blessed to have my daughter sitting right there. Uh, but normally my wife would be there, you know. And uh, sorry, babe, I I, w- I would rather have my wife here. <laughs> I know you would too. I know, but I would like I like to have you here with the two of us, and you with your husband with us too. I mean, that would be great. I wish Ian could be here too. But the point being, you want know, to think of Titus too. I think of my wife. I just can't help that. So be praying for me with those kinds of things. And i sense sent your prayers. I know that you're praying. Thank you. Please don't stop. Please don't stop. But women certainly have a role, as we see in the church. He says, from among you. This indicates to us more than the obvious truth that these men needed to come, uh, that these men needed to be believers, but they needed to come from among them, not reaching outside. They didn't reach out to another city or something, a different church. You know, we we need to see men being raised up from within churches to take leadership positions. And and that's that's basically a point that is here. And with the names that are here, note that they're all Greek. They, the people themselves, the the. disciples, the, the, the followers of Christ, they saw the wisdom in, in using Greek men to minister to the needs of the Greek widows. You know, And they would oversee the total distribution, not just simply to the Greek w- widows, but to the, to the Hebrew widows as well. But because of all of these qualities that are required... You know, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. You know, these men needed to have this good reputation. uh, uh, Men of integrity, men who were above reproach. Uh, We 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 see the reality of uh, of what Paul wrote to Timothy in First Timothy chapter three, in terms of the uh, requirements for a deacon or a servant within the church. Let's look at that real quickly. First Timothy chapter three. Verses 8 to 13, he wrote, "...likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things." Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This is the role of deacons who are serving within the church, ministering to the people of the church. And and, and so basically these apostles outlined that without the detail that that Paul gives us in this letter to Timothy of good reputation. Servants who are setting an example of godliness for the people to follow, full of the Holy Spirit, yielded to his calling, yielded to his control, gifted with his gifting and manifesting his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which basically is love, men who love others. If these kinds of men are placed in those positions, it's going to be done fairly and equitably. Not that the apostles did not have that, but they were losing control simply based on time issues. So greater administration needed to take place, and so these men were called. Full of wisdom, the practical wisdom of applying the, the truths of Scripture to everyday life. Being sober, having righteous judgment. Men who like those described in 1 Chronicles 12.32 had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Knowing the pressures of life uh, here in Southern California in 2022 serving within the church and being a part of this crazy culture that we're mixed up with. And so the idea of serving. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We certainly have sp- spoken on that. And so after these men were, were brought before them, we, were, we, we see that they were appointed. They were basically nominated, if you will, by the group of people, by the church. And then it was the apostles who actually made the appointment. They prayed over them, laid hands on them for the, the ministry that God was placing them in. Uh, the, the laying on of hands, of course, was a practice the old, that was recognized in the Old Testament. Laying on ha- of hands would take place often different situations, whether it was uh, someone taking for a, a, a prophet, taking over for another prophet, laying hands of uh, uh, the, the, the offerings that would, that would come. Uh, before the people, laying hands on the, the sacrificial offerings to transfer the sin and so forth, uh, laying hands on, uh, laying on hands for a different reason. And so it's practiced within the church as well. But a, a visible representation of what's taking place. The apostles giving their approval and giving responsibility to these particular men for what they were about to do. And then verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. It's interesting that, that Paul mentions that, kind of a, a, a sign of things to come. It was great to see the priests coming to faith in Jesus Christ, yet that in itself was not necessarily a good thing in the sense that because of their emphasis on the temple rituals it could present a problem because the church could then become too ritualistic which of course it did there are many who think that the Judaizers that we read about later in the book of Acts those who were saying yeah we need to have faith in Jesus but we have to be doing these things that that God gave for for us Jews to do too in terms of these practices and these rituals that likely came from the priesthood. And so that's, it's very likely that the Judaizers came from the priesthood. But it's a blessing to see that even as we saw that the church had been growing, uh, multiplying, as we saw in verse 1, we see that it's continuing to multiply here in verse 7 as a result of the church dealing with the divisiveness within the church that was taking place. And so the word of God grew, it spread. The number of people, the number of disciples multiplied as the word of God was spreading, and even priests were coming to faith. We can't ignore what Paul wrote to the Romans, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Word of God. That's a central part of this passage. The reality of the emphasis on the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. To bring faith, to lead people to faith, and the teaching to bring growth in individuals within the church to the point where they actually become true, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. Many of you can testify to this. I have said often, I've said it in relation to marriage, for example. You know, if you get two people married to each other, both of them being faithful disciples of Jesus, that's going to be a good marriage. You know, um, Jeanette and I did not get any marriage counseling. We didn't get any premarital counseling. Um... The counseling we got was from our pastor at a fourth square church in Montebello that I hadn't seen in years. Janet and I got married at the ages of 19 and 17 because uh, she was with child at that time. We called him; he came and talked to us and, bas- and asked us just a couple of questions, you know. Uh, and you know what? To be honest with you, I don't even remember what he said. You know, it it, it was that dramatic. Um, I, I, I don't even remember what he said. Um, Je- Jeanette did remember what he said, you know, and, but a couple of things lasted about three minutes. He goes, okay, what do you intend to do here? What do you intend to do there? Oh, we're gonna, okay, good. That's good. Okay, let's have some coffee, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that's all that it was. We didn't know the Lord yet. We didn't know the Lord yet. And uh, it was a year and a half later, actually about two years later, almost two years later when we came to Jesus, It's because of that, and because he drew us into relationship with himself as disciples through the years. It's that that caused us to be able to say today, we've been married for 50 years, 51 pretty soon, in a couple months, 51 years. That's why, that's why. And being a faithful disciple of Christ prepares us for life. It will work in any kind of relationship, any kind of situation, anything that the world throws throws at us, we will be equipped to do because God himself is truly our God. He is our Lord. He is the one that we follow. He's given us his word through his Holy Spirit, and he's given us his spirit also to enable us to do what the word has to say. And because of that, any faithful disciple of Christ can handle anything that comes his or her way i'm not saying it's going to be easy i'm not going to saying there won't be pain i just talked to you a little bit about what i go through with this but you know what my head's on straight my heart's in the right place i know what's going on i understand what goes on in the world i understand the results of sin these kinds of things happen why not to us i don't like it but i get it but beyond this i've got my eyes on things above and not below I know that I've got a future in heaven, and I'm going to be with my wife there. And she's going to be fully in her right senses. She's going to have fully everything. This this thing, this whole thing with with uh, dementia, the way it it messes up a person's thinking, that's not going to be there. In fact, she'll be better than ever. We won't be married, (laughs) but we'll be worshiping the, the, the the worshiping the Lord together, along with the rest of you who know the Lord. You know that's our future. You see. Knowing my future helps a great deal. Isn't that true? And so the Lord faithfully uses those things to give us an understanding and the ability to cope with the hardships of life that we have here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And Lord, we do thank you. And as we follow you faithfully, as we are your disciples, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that you would just do your work of of, of revealing yourself to us more and more clearly to get to know you better, to understand you at, at greater levels of depth. Lord, to be given the power of your spirit to do the things that you've called us to do and, Lord, the power to understand the things that you want us to know. All these things that you've revealed in the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray for this church. I pray for each one. I pray, Lord, that we would depend and rely totally and completely upon you for all things. Lord, in our marriages, in our family life, in in our church life, in our worship life, on the job and within the community, within the neighborhood, in our extended families, uh, in the marketplace, Lord, that we would be faithful followers of you, that people would take notice. And because of that, that they will be asking us questions they will take note of the hope that we have, even in the midst of terrible situations. And they'll be asking us, how, why, how. And then we can be faithful to, to explain to them the hope that lies within us. You are that hope, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that you will faithfully use us and that we will faithfully follow and that you will be honored and glorified and the disciples around us will be blessed. And Lord, that you will do the same kind of work in our community that you did in Jerusalem and beyond as we see in the book of Acts. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, shall we?